You know, as I uh, have become older, I've had this sobering realization about myself, and it's that I always try to find the easiest road. Now, I don't know if that's because I'm the youngest in my family, I don't know if that's simply my personality, but whenever there's a opposition, whenever there's an obstacle, I always try to find the easiest thing. And I realize that as I've gotten older, that when difficult times approach, the main thing I end up doing is crying out for help immediately. Anyone that I could find, whether that's my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my babysitter, my whoever, anybody I can find, I cry out to them immediately. And it's to the point where I've joked around when I said that, you know, if I go on a date, you don't have to worry because I'm a very good screamer. Right? I don't, you don't have to worry about anything like that because the, the very, very first sign of any type of trouble, I will scream my heart out. Right? <laughs> but what I've realized as I've gotten older as well is that it's not going to be in the good times that I grow, but it will be in the difficult times that I will truly learn who God is. And I've realized that as I've gotten older, especially in ministry, that the reason why there are so many difficulties on this road of being a pastor, of being a shepherd of a flock, is because God is trying to shape me and grow me within the persecution or within types of trouble or difficulty to ultimately allow him to work his calling in me. I think Martin Luther King Jr., he said it best when he said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort or convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. You see, MLK Jr., he had this vision for the future, and he understood that in order to achieve the vision that God had placed in his life, that he would have to go through difficult and dark times. And he understood that rather than comfort, God's calling in his life was going to be given through controversy. Church, in this passage, the Israelites, they're on the border of the promised land. They had been led out of Egypt. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had been fed with manna from heaven. They lacked nothing because the presence of God was with them. But the Bible says that even though God was faithful, the people continued to be faithless. And so God, in his anger, allows the Israelites to wander the wilderness for 40 more years so that all of the first generation would die out. And that included their leader, Moses. And so what happens is the Lord raises up this new leader named uh, Joshua. And he tells Joshua that in the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. And he says, what I did for Moses, I'm going to do through you. In fact, I'm going to do even more because I'm going to lead you and the people into the promised land. And you see, in the same way that God opened up the Red Sea for Moses, he opens up the Jordan River for Joshua. And it says that the Israelites passed through on dry land. And you see, at this point, all they needed to do, 
All they needed to do was walk into the promised land and to conquer the land of Jericho. For them, they had heard the promises of God that he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. They had heard these stories again and again of how faithful God was, of that he would do his promises. And they were right in the midst. They could see that land in front of them. The Jordan, it was behind them. And Jericho, it was in front of them. And they saw the future that God had prepared for them. They were filled from the miracle of the Jordan. They were excited to enter into God's promise. But right before they were to enter, God, he tells them to wait. And he says, before you go, you must be circumcised. What? (laughs) You see, verse 2, it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. What is circumcision? Now, to put it bluntly, it's the cutting off of the foreskin of a male child. Back then, the practice of circumcision, you see, is not uncommon. Scholars said that many of Israel's neighbors also had this practice, and that the main purposes of circumcision for them were fertility, virility, and it was a sign of maturity. So this shouldn't come as a shock to us that God would tell the people to do this. But there was something really interesting about this particular circumcision. In Egypt, the Israelites would circumcise every male child on the eighth day. But here it says that God commands the people that all sons of Israel were to be circumcised. And what we know is that there were grown men there, that there were 20-year-old men, that there were 30-year-old men, that there were 40- and 50-year-old men there. And you see, church, there were no scalpels back then. There were no painkillers. There was no anesthesia. There were no qualified doctors who have gone through eight years of med school. All it says here is that they used a stone knife. Praise God that we don't live in that time. Amen? Now the question is, why would God want them to be circumcised? Why would God want them to go through that pain? And not just the children, not just the babies, but every single person. Why would God tell them to do that? For the Israelites, you see, circumcision, it was an outward sign of an inward change. A cutting off of the flesh meant that you had cut yourself off from the desires of this world. And in the Bible, it says that, yes, for the Israelites, circumcision is of the flesh, but for Christians, circumcision is of the heart. Colossians 2.11 says, when you came to Christ, you were not circumcised physically, but spiritually, the cutting away of your sinful nature. We read here that the Israelites, they wanted so badly to enter into the promised land, but God forces them to wait. And he says that before you take one step further, before you enter into the promise that I've already ordained for you, 
You will need to cut away those things that are hindering you from me. Church, I know that many of you are tired, and I know that for some of you, this may have been one of the hardest years of your life. But I also know that in the midst of those difficulties, that you have experienced the power of God. That in the midst of all those hardships, that you have seen the Spirit of, you have seen the Holy Spirit working in your life and in the lives of those around you. And some of us are waiting in anticipation for what God will do in this new year. As I have been praying over this ministry and as I, as I have been praying over you, the word breakthrough has continually been on my heart. And I believe that God, he will do things in your life that you have yet to even imagine. And he will allow things to come to fruition within this church that many of us have been waiting for years. We are on the edge of breakthrough. We are on the edge of whatever God has planned and in store for us waiting in this coming year. But church, before we take one more step, God is calling us to examine our hearts and to take away the things that are hindering us from him. Some of you have bitterness in your heart towards others. And that bitterness will destroy your heart. And it will take away everything from you. It will shape the way that you think and the way that you act and the way that you behave and ultimately, it will shape the way that you view God. Some of you have fear in your life that God will not come through. And so you are holding on to everything else in this world because you know at least then you have some security. And I believe God is telling us what he has already told the Israelites. He will not give to us what he has promised until we are ready to receive it. Why was this act so important to God? Why would he tell them to drop everything and to wait? It was because circumcision is what identified the Israelites as people of God. Before they entered into this uncharted territory, before they went into the unknown, God was preparing them to be set apart. God, he is going to work in your life in this next year. And he is able to change the lives of those around you through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God places us in times of waiting. He tells us to cut away the things that are hindering us from him so that we can be set apart. And so that we can show those around us that yes, we may be in this world, but we are not of this world. Church, as Christians, our lives are not meant to be the same as everyone else's. Our desires are not meant to be the same as everyone else's. And if we are indistinguishable from this world, then I think we have to come to the sobering realization and the ultimate conclusion that maybe we are of this world. 
God will not send us into a new season just so that we can simply blend in and be the same as everyone else. He loves us too much to do that. God, he sees the Israelites and he knows that they will finally experience all that he had promised them. But he knows that with every blessing there is a burden, that with every high there is a low, and that with every step there is a struggle. And so he tells them to wait and to examine their hearts so that when they enter into the promised land, they are entering as people of God. There is a struggle in our lives against our flesh and our spirits. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Christianity is a daily struggle of picking up our cross and following him. But we know that the things in this world, they may seem enticing, but they ultimately lead to emptiness. Church, this new generation here in the Bible though, that we read understood that in order to go forward, they needed to wait and refocus their hearts on the Lord. Their parents saw the Red Sea open. They had manna fall from the sky. They had pillars of fire and cloud to direct them. But just because they had those experiences on the outside didn't mean that they had true transformation on the inside. And that was what God was thinking of. And that was why God stopped everything. Because it's not about the miracles that you see in your life. It's not about those different things. He's asking for true transformation that happens in your heart. And that's why we read here, God stopped the manna. Let's read verse 12. The manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Manna from heaven is one of the most famous miracles of the Bible. It was the sign of God's provision for his people and it was meant to teach them to fully rely upon him. But miracles are only a sign. And I believe the reason why we see so many miracles in the beginning of Israel's walk with the Lord is because it was only in the beginning that the Israelites were starting to really understand who God was. They knew of him, but they didn't really have a deep relationship with him. And so those miracles were signs so that they could see the power of God and so that they could grow close to him at the beginning. But here, this new generation, they had been taught by their parents. They knew who God was. They were not starting in their faith. And so at that moment, God, he knew that it wasn't a sign that they needed, but it was substance. If your faith is built upon encounters and experiences with God, then you will fall the moment that you enter into, enter into any hardship. Your faith is not meant to last on signs and wonders because those things are only signs. But it is built 
on the foundation of the word of God and on the power of prayer. In the beginning, yes, God will encounter you powerfully. He can change your life. He can transform everything about you in that moment, in that instant, in the beginning. But do not rely upon those things to sustain you. Because they're not meant to sustain you. They're only meant to be a sign pointing to him. For you, as you grow in your faith, as you begin to know more about him, he is asking you not to lean upon the signs and the wonders, the experiences and the encounters. He is asking you to lean upon the word of God and on the power of prayer. In 2002, Shining Star Community Church, it was growing rapidly, but it had no space to meet. And so we found out about this church called National Gardens Baptist Church. And at that time, that church had 23 members. And the youngest member of that church was 69 years old. That building was valued at $4 million at that time. And in fact, that church had just rejected an offer of $3.5 million. Shining Star, they didn't have enough money to buy that church. In fact, we could only borrow $1 million from the bank. But in that moment of desperation, God, he spoke to our church and he said a simple line. He said, I have everything ready, and so just do your work well. And so Pastor Lim, our senior pastor, he goes to National Gardens Baptist Church, to the elder board there, and he proposes an offer of $1 million, and they laugh at his face. They said, don't you realize that we just denied or rejected a $3.5 million offer. What gives you the audacity to come to us with that? But in that moment, God, he gives Pastor Lim courage. And so he looks to the elders and he says this. He says, number one, this church property belongs to God, not you. And second, what are you going to do with three, four, or five million dollars? You have 23 members and your youngest member is 69 years old. In a couple of years, all of you are going to be dead. And guess what? When you go to heaven, God is not going to congratulate you on how much you sold this church for. And so I want you to go ahead and pray and come back to me with an offer. The audacity of that man. They pray for one month and they come back and they say yes. See, Church National Gardens Baptist Church, they used to own this building. We bought this property for $1 million back in 2002, and we believe fully that it was a miracle of God. We have seen the hand of God work in this church from the very beginning. That it was an uncommon beginning. And we have seen miracle after miracle of God's provision and of God's blessing upon each of our members. And even in this past year, we have seen so many things happen that could only be explained by God. And I believe that we will continue to see those things happen. But what I believe God is saying is for us to stop relying on the miracles and start relying simply on the word of God. God stopped the manna from heaven 
so that the Israelites, they would plant seeds, so that they would water the fields, so that they would eat from the crops. In the Bible, Jesus talks about this parable of four different types of soil. And he says that the soil is us and that the seeds are the word of God. In this upcoming year, I believe God is going to do more than you have ever dared hope or imagine. But before we take a step forward, God is asking you to wait. He is asking you to examine your heart because breakthrough is waiting for us, for this church, but it will not happen without us cutting away the things that are hindering us from him. He is asking us to be faithful in his word, to be grounded in prayer, because we will not receive what he has promised until we are prepared to receive it. And so now the question is, how do you start? Well, thank you for asking that. We have, in the beginning of this year, 21 days of prayer. Every January we have this. And every January we see so much happen in the lives of our members. The things that they have praying, the things that they have been praying for for years, God answers. The things that they have been waiting for for years, God allows to happen. And it's not because they cry out, but it's because that in those 21 years, they are reorienting their hearts to the Lord. And it was in that waiting time that they're able to cut away the things that are hindering us, they're hindering them from God. And so after that, they're able to go into what God has promised them. And so I ask for you that if this is where your heart is, that you would focus and that you would come out. I encourage you and I challenge you to do that. Every second Saturday, I want to encourage you and challenge you to come as we pray and as we pray for one another, as we hear the word and get grounded on a Saturday morning. And I hope and I pray that this scripture reading app, it doesn't even have to be that one. But as you go into this new year, as you go into this new decade, that the reading of God's word would be foundational in your life, that it would be a priority for you. That you would not just rely upon what God has done for you, but, you, but that you are willing and ready to, to wait in anticipation for all that God is going to do in you through the reading of God's word. So focus on prayer. Focus on the word. And trust that God is going to do infinitely more than you could ever have dared hope or imagine. But church, these things cannot be done through our abilities or our strength. They can, be only, they can only be done when we fully and completely rely upon Jesus Christ. It says in verse 10 that the Israelites kept the Passover. You see, they were remembering something extremely important. There was a day when the angel of death had come over all the homes in the land of Egypt. But it was only those who had put the blood of the lamb over their door, doorposts that kept them safe. Our hope and our identity is not found on the abilities or on the works that we have, we have done. It is found purely and solely on the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following him is difficult. And yes, I agree that it will be difficult and it, we will fail at times heading into 2020. 
But our lives are not based upon our accomplishments or our failures. It's based upon his name. And we believe that Jesus Christ died, but we also believe that he rose again on the third day. And so that angel of death that was so scary, that was over all the homes, it will not enter us, but it will pass over. And so praise God, because he is more powerful than death. And in him, we have life. Amen. Let's pray.